Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. If you do not want these human jerks spoiling the movie, stop the recording, for the rest of you. Do you want to play a game? Hello and welcome back to the third and final round of this, our political thriller uh, trilogy for the movie Trap. I uh, am one of your co-hosts, Zach Powers, joined by Uh, the other co-host, Russell Carlson, and the third co-host, Chris Boroff. And I think we somehow uh, again, still messed up the uh, out the uh, not the order. <laughs> I, I think we're still going in the same direction, though. We keep messing up the same way. So, I mean, that's got to be consistent. So at some point, that is just the order. You know, at some point, Am when it's just the going the same way, now? like alphabetically and numerically, I'm just reverse. <laughs> we're going the other way. We, we have so screwed up, the, up. Alpha, the alphabetical order has been screwed up every time we've done this for weeks. <laughs> it's not just alphabetical. It's alphabetical by first name, alphabetical by last name, chronological by age. Yep. Like every conceivable metric. E- even in time zone. It's even. Yeah, even in time know, zone. It's like, in yeah. the proper order. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we do great welcome to the movie trap everybody as zach said yeah it's the third and final round of the political thrillers which borif's oh. theme was chosen so you, you guys, are in the last round of all the voting so you get correct. to figure out what theme we're doing next yeah um, uh we're apolo- we apologize uh, this this particular round i have to say um for us it's all occurring in uh, the month of October leading up to the election. It is the perfect slash worst time <laughs> for politically themed films. Uh, Chris complimented my choice just to give you a time frame yeah. of the death of Stalin because a certain dear leader of our own got COVID between this episode and our previous episodes recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to give you a time frame of where we are. You, the listener, know the results of the election. Um, and the and probably the results of his COVID test. Yeah, yeah. Probably so. <laughs> well, it was entertaining because it. Uh, I got the alert while watching the movie, so it was literally like, "Oh, that's wow. a weird like that's wow. uh, art imitating life." So yeah, wow. pretty impressive, guys. Yeah, uh, there's a lot about this movie that is prescient, and we'll get to it later. But before we do, just to give I you a catch it, up. Dear listeners uh, and listeners of all ages about the scoring thus far, because at the end of this episode, uh, each one of us has an allocated number of points that we are going to vote for which one of the three was our favorite movie or whatever metric they want to go by. And as of the count right now, each one starts at a base of 10 points and each host, me, Chris and Zach, are allowed to award one bonus point per episode per theme. Uh, As of now... Uh, round one was given no bonus points. Round two, two bonus points were given, one to Chris and one to myself. And here we are as a stand now. I have 11 points, Chris has 11 points, and Zach has 10 points to allocate at the final round. But before we begin, I want to give a bonus point immediately to Zach for picking this movie. Uh, because mm-hmm. it's one of my favorites. I've seen it many times, and it was a joy again to watch. So uh, bonus point to I'm, you. So now we're I'm all going tied to give up you. at 11. I'm going to give him a point based off the sheer timeliness of this, 
due to the fact that it was a real oh, mind that was freak. Even... Okay. Yeah, it was okay. a real mind freak. I just I'm got just lucky saying. with that one. All right. I know, but, you know, well, a point as... is a point, and you definitely got a point for picking something out that made sure. me question my reality for a moment. Okay. <laughs> hey, well, as Charlie Chaplin once said, so long as men die, liberty will never perish. <laughs> so that's very much the theme of this that's... episode. All righty, yeah. <laughs> So that, again, will start out, Zach, already, uh, before we even get started on telling you what the movie's about, uh, Zach has pulled into the lead with 12 points to allocate at the end of this episode, and Zach and I each, ha- and Chris and I each have 11. So, good oh, job, wow. everybody. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, so, uh, The Death of Stalin is uh, a 2017 film uh, from Armando Iannucci, and if that name sounds familiar to you. Most likely, you know him from the first four seasons of the HBO show Veep, uh, after which he vacated the show and the last couple seasons were not, uh, he had nothing to do with, uh, or very little to do with, I should say. Um, Collected a paycheck. Yeah. Uh, He also, uh, if you're a British listener, you probably know him a little more intimately. He's worked on a great deal of British sitcoms, uh, but most prominently and most relevant to this... Uh, the sitcom The Thick of It, which introduced us all to Malcolm Tucker, a beloved television character, and its spinoff movie In the Loop, uh, uh, which, which we talked about on our old podcast. Yes, yes. indeed. Uh, we on covered the film that. Concussion many years yep. ago. Yep. Um, Love and it then, too. nearly nominated that movie, and I would have been fine watching it again uh, because I have seen that several times. Always a joy. Yeah. Um, but having discovered Chris hadn't watched Death of Stalin, I chose Death of Stalin. And uh, this is, as with many Armando Iannucci films, a somewhat tricky film to beat by beat breakdown plot wise because it has a great deal to do with political machinations of numerous characters. Mm-hmm. But uh, it also it also has the unfortunate <laughs> problem of being a film that has a lot of Russian names, something they <laughs> historically have a problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this description is going to go, because I imagine it's going to be some mixture between the West Wing and something that's going to sound like, you know, <laughs> characters from the Frumulus Bandersnatch poem. Here we go. <laughs> uh, now, I do have the slight uh, advantage here because... The three biggest names uh, uh, in this film are are pretty easy for me. Stalin, I know that one. Khrushchev, <laughs> I also title. know that one. Uh, and Beria is just a very easy Russian name. But uh, <laughs> so I do have that. I do have that going for me. Regardless, this is a film that takes place, uh, as you history buffs may have guessed, in the USSR in 1953. Um. It uh, begins with uh, a performance of a uh, a musical uh, concert, a classical music being played in a hall um, when the operator of the hall gets the call after it has ended that Stalin wants a recording of tonight's performance. No such recording exists. So they pull in vagrants off the street and force everybody back to replay the concert to recreate, to create Mm -hmm. a record for Stalin. And I actually, I love this opening. It's such a great little fable about living under a truly authoritarian rule. Um, all of these people are fearful for their lives. It's it's I think it's a great, great, tiny little self-contained story. 
It is, and it even it mirrors the I think the theme of the movie because the compose the the guy who has to corral the audience to get back in their fucking seats and go find the orchestra again because everybody's yeah. going home at that point. He becomes like this authoritarian, like no, get back in your seat or I will shoot you. Nobody's gonna yeah. die. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. But it's it's because you live under this system, it forces you to not only act like that, but you're doing that out of your own survival. Yeah, that's that's Patty Casadine, uh, I think. I can't pronounce his last name exactly. Mm-hmm. Fantastic actor, um, but that's also yeah, based he's... off a true story. We can get into that after the thing, but yeah, uh, many a of these are true things. Story, the, yeah. the degree to which it's true is unclear, but something like that very well may have happened. Yeah. Uh, with the same pianist, the pianist in this is a historical person who was critical of the Soviet Union and of Stalin and somehow escaped uh, death and or exile <laughs> or prison. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, well, we can get into the real stuff afterwards, but from what I heard was that um, essentially she was a very good pianist, and what she wrote was not that intense, um, and it was more a question of, like, he kind of wanted to kill her, but he also had other stuff to do, and he just kind of forgot about it. It was like a no. <laughs> I, I heard was his like first impression of her, he also, I guess, was a big, genuinely a fan of her piano playing, and so apparently that may have factored in in some degree. Joseph um, Stalin, lover of all art. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, regardless, uh, we cut over to, uh, the evening, um, at, uh, I guess I don't know exactly what the structure is, uh, the, the capital, uh, Stalin's residence. It's not um, the Kremlin, but it's kind of the, I guess it is the Kremlin. It's the, it must be the, the actual house, but I think they call the Kremlin. I think that is the building where he lives. Yeah. I th- Maybe. It's they don't the show Red it on the outside. Building, yeah. But it's, yeah. 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 Yeah, this is one of those um, things where it's like, uh, it's you can kind of understand some of it, but it's very hard to understand the exacts. It's sort of like when you watch Lord of the Rings and you go, this is a managerial sort of area yeah. for elves. I don't know what this is about, but something yeah, like that. Like, but this is with like real the stuff. What's Balrog? <laughs> it's like a demon. It doesn't really matter beyond that it's a demon. Yeah. They're at Stalin's government house and uh, they're having some kind of meeting of the higher end cabinet or committee of the Soviet Union. Central committee. Um, the Central Committee, and uh, all of these people are obviously deferential to Stalin. They're varying degrees of intelligent and varying degrees of sociopathic. Uh, I would say none are completely free of being disregarding of human life because they work for Stalin. Hmm. Um, It's like people in the current White House. Like the best (laughs) one is still going to be kind of bad. Yeah, it's weird, though, because when they introduce them, they introduce them in a way where they're shown doing terrible things, being described as terrible people. But they're they always have like name cards that pop up like they're the member of a band where it's like. You know, they'll just have the guy walk in and his undertitle will suddenly appear, like what his name is and things like that. But even as they introduce these people doing yeah, terrible deputy things. Deputy chairman yeah. or secretary of the. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really like focus um, too hard in on the seriousness of the crimes. It sort of passes by a lot of it and you don't see too yeah. much of the human cost of what's happening. Yeah. But you get immediately whatever Stalin wants is what goes. If they mm-hmm. have to stay for a, a screening of a film because Stalin requests it, they have to stay. Um, every joke is hilarious. Uh-huh. Every, every joke is hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. Big fan of cowboys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> every night Stalin sends out a list of people to be rounded up and either sent to the prisons or executed, which is the province of uh, the interior minister. Uh, one, uh, I'm not going to try the first name. We're going to call him Beria. Uh, his last name, his surname. Lip-varia? Lip-varia. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's a it's, Russian. It's Beria, yeah. The, the, 
Yeah, his last name is Barry. Yeah, yeah, head um, of the NKV or whatever. Yeah, but he's, although, he's, I don't think yeah. they were actually around at this point in time. Right, but. that was one of the anachronisms. Yeah. They had slightly different names for some of the organizations than they ultimately had or had previous. But this but is the real guy. They're the secret police. Yeah. Yes. Oh yes. Most of he these runs, people really existed. He was described as like Hitler's, uh, as Himmler to uh, like Hitler's Himmler. It's right. like he was Stalin's Stalin Himmler. bragged about that yeah. to FDR. Stalin yep. bragged about that. Yep. Sorry, yeah. Zach, you're, you're so going to the thing. So functionally the secret, the Gestapo, the KGB, this guy runs that shit. The shit, the internal police that round up people in the night and take them away. Never to be seen again. That's his job. He gets lists every night. One of the members of the cabinet is tragically on tonight's list. Um, but, Molotov. Uh, yeah, yeah, Molotov. Wondrously played by Michael Palin. Uh, some of the other, aside from Molotov, some of the other key uh, members are, of course, Nikita Khrushchev, played by Steve Buscemi, um, who I believe is the secretary, the... Uh, He's not the deputy chairman. That's uh, that's uh, that's Malenkov, played by Jeffrey Tambor. He's the deputy chairman and technically mm-hmm. next in line for leadership. Yeah, that's um, uh, the chairman. I believe he, I believe that uh, Khrushchev uh, is like the premier's secretary or something of that nature. Yes, uh, uh, fir- the quick. first secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet first Union. First secretary. From 1953 till 1964. And this was also like a fairly low tier position. This was a boring position. This was not this was not a hustling position. This was like a bookkeeper type role. If I'm not mistaken, it was Stalin's old job. Yeah. 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 Uh, that that would make sense. Um, so and then there's a number of other members of the uh, cabinet uh, who uh, head to bed that evening while Stalin receives his freshly printed copy of tonight's performance out of which falls a letter from the pianist who hates Stalin with a a deep seated passion because he has killed a number of people she cared about. Um, And while reading this letter and laughing to himself, Stalin suffers a cerebral hemorrhage (laughs) falls on the ground. And the two guards outside are too frightened to enter the room to check on him upon hearing the thud of his body on the floor. So the next yeah. morning, he is found still <laughs> laying on the floor. Based off true story, <laughs> that actually happened. Keep yeah, going. only one person was allowed to come in, and that was the person with the coffee and the eggs. Yeah, they you didn't know, check they, on him until the next morning. He fell over, and he they was were a like, grumpy leave sleeper. me alone. He was a grumpy sleeper. <laughs> he was a grumpy sleeper. But you get some sense of... Uh, who at least the key players are. Beria is very comfortable with his position as the head of the secret police. Um, he briefly visits one of his underground prisons that evening um, where he's casually giving out orders to people and is clearly raping some of the people who are imprisoned there. Um, he's pretty clearly a pretty disgusting dude. For an Armando Nietzsche film, I would say he's maybe the most loathsome character he's ever put to scream yeah. yeah and it's it's played effortlessly by simon russell beale too he does such a good job of being absolutely like terrifying but also sort of pathetic yeah. in a way um but it's it, also it, i think you know the whole cast is really great it's fascinating how well they balance this because it's a pitch black comedy so everything we're saying For sounds sure. terrible and it sounds like a drama because in in terms of story it absolutely is a drama however in execution it's absolutely a comedy 
and it's extremely strange because you meet Beria, he's doing terrible things, but the film, while it makes you hate him, doesn't make you stop empathizing with him, which is an extremely strange experience because you still see him as a character later and fallible later. So it's not like a Darth Vader where you can like attribute like ultimate evil. It's there's like a problem with this man. To, to a degree, I think that Beria is maybe the example where that doesn't quite conform. I think you see almost all these characters doing terrible things. Um, Beria is the one where sometimes he'll do stuff and the movie will be like, stop the jokes. This guy's awful. Like him dragging mattresses in to rooms with female prisoners for later yeah. or the way in which he mocks a guard uh, who is stuttering earlier that he's planning to have executed. Like yeah. Beria and maybe a couple of the early things with Stalin are moments where I think even for an Iannucci film, they're like, we can't really make a joke about how terrible and horrific these human beings were. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And it, and it is because of that balance and... Yeah, because yeah. it's if, just if interesting. They had struck a wrong note. Yeah, it just was Uh-oh. really interesting how they broke it down. Just because it was one of those things where he was, you know, sort of portrayed in such a way, so you still kind of stuck with him for parts. However, you're going to get into the rest of it, and I think that the ways in which his downfall yeah, and cause are true. way more interesting than what we're talking about right now, because it all comes back. Yeah. And I mostly mention his visiting the prison to contrast with Khrushchev, who I would say is pretty much the protagonist of the film. Um... He goes home to his wife and takes meticulous notes on everything that happened at the meeting with Stalin and the other the other cabinet members, the other committee members. He's a regular Um, Jim Comey. Timely reference. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be here all night. (laughs) Every single one of these guys is I think the best case scenario is that these are guys who will do what it takes to survive. Um, At worst, they're full blown sociopaths like Beria. And at best. They're either empty-headed yes-men who don't know what the fuck's going on and put it out of mind, like Melenkov, Jeffrey Tambor, <laughs> or they'll do whatever they need to to survive. They're good at getting by, and I think that's sort of Khrushchev's role in this whole thing. Right. He's smart, and he knows how to not get killed. There's also the the endless sycophancy, and that's Molotov, Michael Palin's character. You know, right. like there's he's he's such a true believer. He has the best fake laugh in the beginning of the movie. Where <laughs> anyway, yeah. I love Michael Palin. But he genuinely believes in Stalin as a almost godlike godlike king. king. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah he's one hundred percent a party um, man. So the next morning, all uh, of the members uh, discover the fact that uh, Stalin has died. They arrive one by one. Barry arrives first and immediately begins sacking files. Yeah, Yeah, cleaning house, (laughs) plotting his plan, uh, clearly overjoyed uh, at the imminent death of Stalin because it is time to make his move. Um, Khrushchev arrives in his pajamas the only other person who's probably savvy enough to really understand the gravity with which speed is important. Right. Because his first question is, where's Beria? You know, when yeah. he gets the phone call about Stalin, he's like, wait, where's Beria? Yeah, yeah. you immediately see the um, rest of the crabs starting to crowd up the bucket, trying to keep everybody down. Yeah, it's exciting. Exactly. Yeah. The power vacuum's there and it and the need to fill it is immediate. Yeah. Um, even if it's only potential at this point, uh, they round up some doctors. Um, <laughs> this was a legitimate problem uh, because they had 
they'd gotten rid of all the Jewish doctors in town as part of their purges that were going on at the mm-hmm. time. So they literally didn't have any good mm-hmm. doctors left in town because uh, yeah. they killed everybody. Yeah, those, including, are the, those are in the. Yeah. Including the intellectuals, because that was the other people who were on the bad list. So they had no one who knew how to actually deal with Stalin's medical emergency. Yeah. Uh, So they round up about six to ten doctors. uh, The last ones, the best quote unquote ones they can find who are most who either extraordinarily old or extremely young or just oddballs and um, <laughs> how old are you 29 <laughs> um, yeah they bring them all to to get the diagnosis uh, which is that he's probably unlikely to recover um, ultimately uh, it does seem as though uh, he is going to recover for a brief moment before he immediately dies uh, only minutes later um, his family, uh, Stalin's family, that is to say his children, uh, Svetlana, his daughter, who seems at least possessed of some basic intelligence. Um, if not though, a bit of a doe mm-hmm. fan, you know, yeah. kind of a brat. A- Andrea yeah, Riceboro exactly. for anyone who's a Mandy fan. Yeah. Mm. Uh, she, she is brought in and, uh. Vasily, his son, who is a drunk and uh, a believer of wild conspiracies, um, is also brought in um, while uh, while Beria makes an alliance with uh, Tambor's Melenkov and uh, Khrushchev uh, works over Molotov and a couple of the other uh, a couple of the other members to try and build his own coalition. Turns out Melenkov. Yeah. Uh, Melenkov is slated to be next in line uh, to lead the country. He is given uh, the the, you know, the powers of the leader um, as deputy chairman. Um, And uh, it's off to the races immediately. It looks like. Beria's plan is to release many of the prisoners, stop the lists, and make himself look like a benevolent new leader who will show a kinder face to the Russian public, at least initially, until he can consolidate power. Um, He returns Molotov's wife to Molotov, um, but both his wife, who has been uh, kept in an underground bunker for an undetermined amount of time, and Molotov believe that if she was sent away, it must have been for an extremely good reason because Stalin did not make mistakes. That's right. <laughs> Molotov expresses a similar uh, a similar sentiment when he discovers he was on the list from the night before that right. he must have somehow wronged the leader in an extraordinary so way. Great. The look on his face is just like. <gasps> Oh no! Well, what did I do? You know, he's such a whipped puppy. It's fucking great. Um, meanwhile, uh, Melodkov takes over as uh, the premier, but he is absolutely ill-equipped for the job. He never knows what the fuck is going on. Um, he's clearly kind of an idiot and not very decisive. Uh, Beria, he's the perfect puppet for Beria, basically. Um, they stick Khrushchev with the crap job of organizing the funeral while Beria consolidates a number of different institutions um, under his belt. 
Uh, and, uh, yeah, the funeral occurs. Barry has cut off Moscow from the people in the surrounding areas to more or less keep the calm while also having executed pretty much anyone who was in the manor when Stalin died. Mm-hmm. All of the doctors, all of the staff, all of the lookalikes. Uh, yeah. There's one uh, especially comical shot where um, a truck full of people who are carted off, presumably to be executed, are watching the man who sent them off get executed, executed himself. himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, there's also there there's also this whole um seizing all of these borders from the actual Russian military Correct, by yeah. the security forces of the, right. of yeah. Beria, um which plays into the coup Beria later. kicks the red army kind of out of Moscow and has the secret internal police take over as the primary sort of security or power in the city. Right, because I believe there was a state of emergency in the country of Russia that required the military to be there pretty much perpetually, uh, I think. And that's why there was a constant military presence yeah, I mean, during in, the Cold War, Russia. During the Cold War, they were always building military. It was the only thing that was yeah. like a consistent industry there. So, yeah, absolutely. And the Red Army really was there in real life uh, during the death of Stalin. They had to actually deal with that because of the security forces in town taking over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- uh, so Beria uh, eventually reveals that uh, he is aware that this pianist had written a hateful letter to Stalin on the night of his death and that this pianist has connections to Khrushchev. So it seems like the net is closing a little bit on Khrushchev. It seems like there's increasingly more evidence against him, but... People from outside of Moscow who want to visit Stalin's body uh, while it's lying in state are killed by Beria's uh, internal secret police while trying to push against the borders of Moscow. Um, I think they say 1,500 people are are shot and killed in that night during uh, Stalin's funeral. Um, And this is kind of the turning of the page. Uh, General Zhukov, who is uh, the leader of the Red Army, is not happy with Beria for kicking his guys out of the state. He comes to Khrushchev. He says, let's pin this whole goddamn thing on Beria. You get the rest of the cabinet on board and we can take this guy out. Uh, Malenkov still has a lot of fondness for Beria, who uh, is able to play him quite deftly. Mm -hmm. But... Not that uh, definitely. Didn't have to play him that hard. He's, yeah, he's pretty, I mean, he's an idiot, basically. <laughs> but he, he, yeah, he. I don't think he particularly wants to kill anybody. He's kind of right. a soft. Yeah. Well, Malenkov's yeah. always an odd duck um, in but this because he's, he's like split between like you're never sure if he's aware what's going on and he's just evil or if he's just slightly senile or completely crazy. Because like his his belief in the I system is confusing to me. I think he's quite dumb. Um, I, he's very eager at the idea of like ending the lists and the executions. I don't think he likes them. Um, oh, and you're I don't about, think he yeah. wants, I don't think he wants anybody to die. I think he yeah. would prefer the entire cabinet remain right. intact. But even, even the way Malenkov still like deals with the lower staff is he's still like, you know, get the fuck out. He turns into this iron willed tyrant in these petty, petty ways, yeah. but yet gets pushed around by Khrushchev and Beria. Mm-hmm. Um, so the deal is, uh, Khrushchev also gets Molotov and a couple of the other cabinet members on board. Um, 
Turns out uh, Molotov, who is mostly just dedicated to Stalin's memory and not much else, <laughs> is more than happy to see Beria, who's a bit of a little conniving creep, go as long as the committee is behind it 100%, because that's what Stalin would have wanted. wanted would have wanted everybody to agree to kill this guy. <laughs> um, so now it's just a matter of getting Molenkov on board. And the way Khrushchev does that is fucking just lie and tell everybody else that he's already on board. After they cart Stalin's body out, uh, uh, they give the signal and Zukov and the Red Army come in, kill a few of his secret police and cart off Beria for his quote unquote trial. Uh, Molenkov the entire time protesting that he deserves a real trial, kind of unaware of what just happened. And Beria kind of in this moment becomes, I suppose, the next Russian leader because he just tells Molenkov what the fuck is going on and what the fuck to do and forces him to sign the paper. They have this trial for Beria where Molenkov can't read the charges, so Khrushchev takes over. And Beria pleading like a little weasel, like uh, like William H. Macy at the end of Fargo almost. I totally thought yeah. of Fargo. I totally yeah. thought of Fargo. Yeah, well, it's also he cracks. Uh, is shot. It's, it's interesting because like that yeah. particular scene of violence is the only time I believe that you see real violence on screen in a way that is not somehow punctuated as a form of black comedy. It's something that's it sticks with a shot. And you're aware of the death. It's not like when you see everybody getting killed in the in the buildings, it's handled like a comedy. Because you'll see someone go, oh, I'm in danger. And they run off camera and then you hear gunshots. This is the one time where the guy's screaming right, for his life and he gets shot right in the head. And it's all on camera. There's and it's one very scene grim. Where there's a scene where they are executing people against a wall at the camps right when they're about to okay, suspend yeah, the yeah. execution. That's, that's an exception. And yeah. And one of the people says... Yeah, long live Stalin. But even that's a comedy. It's a comedy beat because one of the people says long live Stalin. And then the guard nonplussed says Stalin's dead. It's Melenkov now. And then the guy says long live Melenkov and he shoots him. <laughs> yeah. And then a guy comes up and says suspend the execution. And all the other guys just look around yeah. and walk away. Yeah, the, guy, the guys who are in the shooting <laughs> line. Believe their luck. Yeah. They, well, it's like they, you don't even see like real like relief on their faces. They seem sort of like. Huh, okay, not today. And they just go back to work. <laughs> they just get back up and keep going mm -hmm. on. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking hilarious. Um, but yeah, Barry is executed. His body is burned. Khrushchev becomes the clear successor uh, to leadership of the USSR. Uh, though the film uh, ends with a note that one day he too will be. And Brezhnev. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by Brezhnev. And, and again, the whole point of the movie i mean this is how solid came to power solid came to power in a very similar fashion so it's a system that begets its own self like it's this it, immediately as soon as beria is murdered khrushchev starts wandering off as like who can't we trust you know immediately and that's it, it, it's telling that this regime's father was joseph solid i mean it was this regime became himself i mean trotsky always said that a machine made Stalin because he's not very particularly charismatic. You know, he mm -hmm. wasn't a particularly great speaker or anything. I mean, I've, I brought up, I brought a visual pop, uh, for, but uh, for you listeners, it's an old book by Melenkov called on the threshold of communism. <laughs> uh, it was a speech. Basically the speech is this little pamphlet 
that's why you, I don't really believe you said all this. Um, it, it was uh, from the <laughs> 1952s, just a year before Stalin's death, um, when Malenkov was giving a speech about it. And you could read the people in. I mean, look look who's in, in preparation. Stalin, Molotov, Beria, Khrushchev, you know, Kaganovo, uh, yeah. Kaganovich. Oh, we should also be, know, be. Like, it's the same cast of characters. And I, we should be clear about two names because we keep saying them very quickly and I can understand they would be confusing. Malenkov is um, played by Jeffrey Tambor. He was the main guy in charge. Molotov is played by uh, Michael Palin. But I always found it funny that, like, I, part of the reason why I like this movie a lot is, you know, you hear a lot about, like, Hitler's inner sanctum, right? Like, Goebbels and Himmler and fucking Eichmann and shit. But you rarely hear about Stalin's henchmen. You just hear about Uncle Joe. Um, well, it's pr- I, and I, I, I think it's nice that the henchmen get a highlight because they're just as culpable and just as guilty in Stalin's crimes. Well, do you think it's uh, because they were never actually taken out of power? So the, uh, I mean, how do, why do you think that they were I never really... I think that really, had a lot yeah. to do with it. I think that had a lot to do with it. Stalin's, out of Mussolini, Hitler, and Stalin, who stayed in power the longest, who died in power. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's worth, I mean, even though uh, there's some inconsistencies here, but it is true that not long, not this quickly after Stalin's death, but about three-ish months after Stalin's death, uh, Beria did indeed get captured and killed. Uh and uh, as Khrushchev says at the end of the film, after he's dead, I will erase you from history. And one thing Stalin did a lot was when somebody was gone, they were gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they got removed from mm-hmm. the books. That's why even yeah. mentioning Trotsky's name would yeah. would have, you know, would have gotten you arrested. Yeah, there's a nice touch on that um, at the end when they're doing the credits, like you said, where you essentially when the head shops come up and then the names come up uh, to say who the actor is, um, the actor then usually disappears from the image or someone nearby them disappears in the image and it's replaced in the same style that they really used to erase people from those images back in Stalin's era. Uh, did you guys kind of want to talk about the historical accuracies on this one? Because it's I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole a little bit on this one and had fun kind of seeing how close I, it I was looked, to reality. I did There's, a brief read of the historical. I, I uh, did. Yeah. I read one one critical article about the overall tone about what they kind of considered because they, they kind of had a problem with the way that Beria was represented and how it kind of gave the whole regime a pass by making Beria the, the sort of manifestation of all of the wickedness of the Stalin regime. Um, but I also think that uh, my critique towards that, what I would, I think the movie's answer to that is Beria's behavior at the end. This is a, this is a regime that created Beria. You know, Beria may have been a scummy weasel to begin with, but this has been a system and a machine and a regime that rewards that behavior. And he's gotten fucking good at it out of survival almost to become, to cement his position in power. So I think it's more of an indictment that this system creates barriers and that barrier is more or less a, a victim of this machine as well. Well, well he is, guys- he gets fucking executed. <laughs> so what do you guys think about the idea that like, I noticed as it was going through most of the machinations that eventually cause barrier to have its downfall are almost nice things he's doing like even like releasing prisoners is something that's twisted around on him so it it was strange to me because he was doing that with a couple different things like he was being nice to Svetlana offering to protect her he did something I can't remember the exact nature of the deal he had with her but it was flipped at the end so it was clear that all these things he'd been doing throughout the entire course of the film that were little things to be nice to people to try to gain their trust turned in the end to be something that was used against him 
And it was just fascinating because the only things that were humanizing throughout the film, like him helping like uh, Molotov get his wife back or um, trying to help Svetlana and her brother or making sure Sue's safe or making these other deals were all things that kind of came back to him. Well, and they were com- for completely self-serving reasons, though. I mean, yeah. it was just yeah. to woo over Svetlana, to woo over Molokov to his side. It's like what we were talking about with all the King's men. Sure, you know, Willie Stark did a lot of shit for the people, but he did him. It's not like he did him because he likes them. He didn't do it because he's a yeah. nice guy. There's, he did it to cement his own power. There's a scene uh, before the the day before, I believe, Barrios is ultimately arrested, where he has a smaller breakdown, where he pulls out this file and talks about all the shit that he has on everybody else, all of the other people in the, uh, in the committee. And you did this in 37, you did this in 45 and blah, 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 blah. And the only reason Molokov doesn't turn on him then is because he's too stupid to understand that he <laughs> is indeed included. Like, <laughs> Molokov knows, from a viewing perspective, it's clear that, what would happen to Molokov if Beria won is probably one day he'd be shot and Beria would take over. He'd mysteriously fall ill. Go, yeah. wouldn't you know it? Oh, he fell ill. It happens to everybody. This blasted plague. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's it. This is uh, Beria was clear from the beginning. He was waiting for this moment. And it's even more punctuated when Stalin sort of wakes up and Beria realized, shit, you know, he's already set the game in motion. So like, uh, so there's this moment of kind of, relief but nobody can pretend to be relieved when Stalin's dead you know I I especially loved when they find out he's died and everybody's all like oh I grieve for Russia you know and just like making these loud pronunciations in front of everybody um and and coming off it's played very well by like Steve Buscemi and and the whole ensemble of this cast they they play that notes just right as as Borf was mentioning earlier between the comedy and the horrific nature and life-threatening nature of the movie um yeah. Uh, yeah. And 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 as we said, um a couple of these people were like fully not in these positions when this happened. They were in side positions or somewhere off doing other things. There's a lot of anachronism there. As we said, Beria was uh this whole thing with the with Moscow being cut off, like during the funeral there were deaths, but it were was people being trampled by the sheer amount of people who wanted to see him in state. So a hundred or so people died. That had nothing to do with Beria's downfall. Um, instead, there was an uprising some months later that Beria somehow ended up getting the flak for, and that's what took him out. In East yeah. Germany. Yeah, yeah. This, took, this took place over a long time, and it got condensed heavily. However, one thing with this that they also did was that um, he wasn't really responsible for Molotov's wife being released in real life. Um, uh, what happened was that I believe he had put her in and many years later, Molotov was not in real life how he is portrayed by Michael Palin in this. He was someone who really did miss his wife and loved her dearly and was really haunted by the fact that she was gone. And he'd bring it up all the time. Um, and finally, years and years after, like proving that he was not a sympathizer, proving that his wife, who I believe was just friends with someone who might've been Jewish, was not a sympathizer. Right. Isn't that funny? Once uh, Leon yeah. Trotsky was on the outs, that uh, all of a sudden all these Jewish people might be uh, counter-revolutionaries. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So what what eventually start happens at the end with that was that at some party, somebody was asking him, oh, it's your birthday. What can we get you for your birthday? And his answer was very humorlessly, my wife. And she was released two weeks later. So huh. it's brutal. Hmm. Brutal. Oh, 
Yeah, there's. It's interesting that there is, like, not a huge, but still a visible subsection of, even in America, an American left that is our defenders of Stalin. That yep. will be like the Stalin regime did nothing wrong. It's yeah, like, yeah, right. You, yeah, you mm, do not know mm. what the fuck you were talking yeah, about. My right, friend. Ashley on Trotsky. You would, but he has an ice pick at his ear. Yeah. Um, but you can at like, least follow Trotsky. Right. Um, he, he's at least his writings at least were interesting. That's the problem with this fucking Malenkov book. It's unreadable. Fucking yeah. Gibberish. The thing about Stalin is the communism thing was secondary to the authoritarianism. Yes. Thing. Yeah. I mean, all, he didn't think so. That's the problem. He didn't think so. He thought it was this is what you're supposed to do. I mean, that's Stalin wasn't some. I mean, it's not even his real fucking name. Like it, it's it, he just made that name up to make him seem like what he wasn't was, which was just a boring fucking bureaucrat who just managed to fucking weasel his well, way to the top. Um, was, everybody was, gives him credit about World War Two when it was really Zukov who really was like the great. That's they. So this film was actually banned in Russia um, because of their betrayal of specifically Zukov. They apparently had a big problem with the way Zukov because it sounds like Zukov's like their Eisenhower, like he's mm-hmm. kind of their hero who like beat Hitler and shit um which is you know probably true well it's it's interesting um yeah I I believe in real life Stalin was desperately jealous of Zukov and sent him off on shit missions that was another inaccuracy he wasn't around at the time of Stalin's death he got sent off to some fucking you know bumfuck middle of nowhere place because Stalin was jealous of his popularity. Right. But he knew he couldn't kill him. You know, that was his knew he couldn't kill him. So you could at least ship him off to Siberia or whatever um, and still have his honor and he'll still be like a war hero and shit. But I mean, Zukov was involved in the coup against Barry. I mean, he, the the whole button thing that, that was Zukov that Zukov had no problem taking out of Barry. We should say um, Jason Isaacs plays Zukov. Yes, does a great job. Very good job. Almost, Um, almost seals the show. And in Um, fact, the other thing we do need to discuss about this movie, besides the historical accuracies, because as we mentioned, this summary is mostly not funny. And there's a lot of comedy in this movie, and we'd be remiss <laughs> not to talk about that. This is yeah. a fucking comedy. Yeah, Indeed. and it's hilarious. It's it is very funny. It's very pointed. Um, part of the a part of what I think works in this really well that helps with that comedy is the fact that no one tries to do a Russian accent. They just do. Um, yeah. They either do English accents or, like in Buscemi's case, he's doing very much a Brooklyn accent. People actually pointed out how it was interesting in his particular case. And even with uh, the the man who plays Stalin, he has a Cockney accent. They kind of focused in on how the accents for the people sort of split up according to the geographic regions to kind of give you a sense of how people would sound differently. Because Stalin was originally Georgian. So he was from a completely different place. Yeah. So when he came in, he chose the name Stalin to sort of rebrand himself. But, uh, you know, Khrushchev had a very, like, rough accent. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But how did that work for you guys? Did you guys feel funny due to the fact there were accents in English? Given given the fact that Iannucci's sort of style of comedy, which is very kind of talky, a lot of people, it seems almost off the cuff almost, the way of his comedy typically goes. So I think it frees a lot of the performances to sort of just kind of go with it and just be dedicated to what you're saying. Yeah, I think that, so one thing about Iannucci and one of the reasons I like him so much is that, yes, it's an extremely 
mostly verbal, mostly very dry kind of comedy. Um, it's a lot of verbal linguistics and people outsmarting themselves within the own sentence. And when there is the odd uh, visual or uh, physical comedy, it's usually something a little subtle. Like one of the funniest bits in the movie is there's a point when it's Stalin is lying in state and the oh various cabinet members <laughs> are having an argument <laughs> distantly and Khrushchev gets sick of trying to talk through Malenkov to talk to, to Beria, who's on the other side of the casket. So he's like, let's just switch. We'll say it's part of the ceremony. Let's just switch. <laughs> he just and does, he like, does this very like, stiff <laughs> movement around the coffin. I, I, and, and, to, to, to hold a straight face while doing that, I think like when you're shooting that, that would be really hard because the way he plays it, it's just so like... It does look like part of the ceremony of the way Tamper's. What the <laughs> fuck are you doing? <laughs> I wonder how much corpsing um, there was on this, just because it is so funny. Like how long it took them to like just keep a straight face in some of these sequences, because it's so odd. I don't know. I mean, you got Michael Palin, who's a pro, and and Buscemi's a pro too. I mean, like it's it's that's I think that's why this ensemble is really really well done, is you have people who are in general doing this kind of they're pretty familiar with this kind of comedy especially somebody like michael palin has been doing oh, it for, for sure, fucking yeah. ever um and and i think that again the fact and that they just let him poor keep... buscemi probably glad to be in a comedy that's not fucking directed by adam sandler for once right well, i yeah. guess he gets those paid he's <laughs> oh, getting God. those paychecks so <laughs> yeah no i'm sure he's he's but i mean it's it's rare to, that's i wanted to bring this up i wanted to play this because it's rare it's nice to see buscemi like carry a movie to like actually kind of be the protagonist and, you know, that isn't just like Boardwalk Empire or something. I thought he did really well as Khrushchev, you know, and that's when I heard he was cast he... as Khrushchev. Like, I, that made sense because Khrushchev had a he was a blabbermouth. That guy talked and talking was very temperamental. Like he wasn't like Stalin. Stalin was very boring and dull. Um, but it, it, so it, when they casted Buscemi, I was fine. I was like, oh, I hope they don't make him do a Russian accent because, I mean, I haven't heard it. And <laughs> why would you make him do that? You know, just just have him talk like Buscemi. I'll believe it. You know, yeah. I know they're not actually from Russia. In fact, yeah, I think yeah. it's, it's actually I think there's only one person in this movie who's from Ukraine. I think it was the the piano player. I think she's actually from Ukraine, mm. um, I, I, uh, which is interesting. It's interesting that a person who is not in the cabinet, not in the power, the party of power, kind of the only representative for the average person in this entire film is the only one with a somewhat legitimate accent. Yeah, that was very likely unintentional. Maybe it wasn't, but it's a clever addition. It is a nice uh, touch my, to have someone the, who the, is. She a, is. Yeah, it's nice to have someone who's actually affected by that and can speak to it on a more regional and truthful think, level to talk about it. It was nice yeah, to have that the, touch. The, the rule, yeah, and the role that she played being like, I'm I'm anti-Stalin or whatever, but though she is involved in my favorite sequence of one of my favorite Buscemi lines in the movie is when he's like ripping her off about writing the note to Stalin and he's just like, now we're both going to be killed. He's like, well, I will have comfort in everlasting life. And Buscemi's like, who the fuck in their right mind would want everlasting life? <laughs> the endless conversation. Um, fucking great line. But I wanted to say, because Buscemi's been in the business for a long time. I mean, Buscemi's, you know, he goes all the way back to the 80s. Yeah. I wouldn't want to say his heyday was in the 90s, but I wanted to ask you guys a question, you know. So what's your... Favorite Buscemi role, least favorite Buscemi role, and you think his best role? I'll give you mine. Um, my my favorite is Big Lebowski. I have to say it. Mm, okay. um, I think his best role is probably Fargo. 
Um, okay. I think that's probably his best role. Can, can uh, we include TV my least shows? Favorite? Yeah, I'll take TV shows. Because I would say um, probably I'll his... Take... Go ahead. I, and my least favorite, uh, pick an Adam Sandler movie. Just pick yeah. one. <laughs> uh, I would say probably Boardwalk Empire would be one of my like high ones on my list for him as like quote unquote best. Um, I've always, you know, Big Lebowski is a big one just because he was fun in that, but I would have to probably go with Airheads, I think. Okay. I'll take because Airheads. Because it's, it's an old that. one. It's a deep cut, but I love that one because it was so odd to type and it was so correct to like metal heads that I knew. I'll take that. <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of affinity for that movie. I'll, I'll take it. Best or my favorite. I'll go with my favorite first. Because I have the longest history with them, the two I have the longest history with, the two that I knew him from first, were Fargo and Reservoir Dogs. And so I'd, I'd probably say one of those. Obviously, Reservoir Dogs was also his breakout role in many ways. Um, so, you know, got to give some some respect there. Sure. Um, uh, I'd say my least favorite, obviously, the Adam Sandler shit. Like, yeah. that's not mm-hmm. a surprise to anybody yeah. here. Uh, and best... I think, you know what, the one that stands out as unique from all his other roles to me still today might be Ghost World. Okay. I thought about that wow. one, too. I, I, I didn't I, even I remember him being in that. it's an underrated role for, for Buscemi. It's an yeah. underrated role for Buscemi, what, what too. What did he play in that? Um, yeah. But I'll say of the Sandler ones, oh, he was the one, the guy that uh, Thora Birch, is that who it was, meets mm-hmm. and kind of befriends, who's an oh, older, Ghost lonely World. man. Ghost World. Sorry. For some reason, yeah. I thought you said Cool World, and I was like... Gabriel Byrne? And I got very confused. (laughs) No, Ghost World. Yes, I agree completely. Fantastic movie. I loved it too. (laughs) Now, the Adam Sandler ones, I want to do a caveat. It's probably going to be one of his later shit, like grown-up stuff. And Billy Madison, he's one of the best parts of that movie. Sure. He's he's (laughs) in it for three seconds. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Well, Uh, actually, that's the only question I want to ask, just because he's been around forever. Speaking of historical inaccuracies, earlier in this episode, I said something that is historically inaccurate, and I just found out that it was wrong. Molotov does not come from this gentleman that is in the film. Molotov comes from a Finnish uh, nickname that they gave uh, for the cocktails in question by the Finns for uh, the active chairman of the Council of the People's Commissars of the Soviet Union, and his name, I cannot pronounce <laughs> the top it. part. Oh my God, it's all in it's all in Russian. Yevlanshilov Molotov. Uh, so I'm gonna say that's how you say that guy's name. But yeah, he's the guy, not the other guy. Uh, I'm always impressed. I can always tell when somebody's like actually like a scholar when you they know, can pronounce <laughs> Stalin's like middle name. Visianiara. Yeah, fucking Vis- Visian- Visianiara. Boy, yeah, that's a lot of consonants. Man, I have read. Uh, crime of punishment twice, and <laughs> I can pronounce Raskolnikov. I got that mm-hmm. one. Raskolnikov, I got it down. I've read that name enough times. Every other name in that book, I'm like, you know, the the fucking weasel guy, or the detective, or like the the girl he's into, or the landlady. Like, I can't do the other names. Uh, I'm luckily a hockey fan. A lot of Russians in the NHL. A lot, lot of Russians. I always have the thing where I have a vague memory Dude, of which this. That, that hockey story is a true story, too, by the way. That that Stalin's oh, yeah. son, hockey team, got in a plane crash, and he did try to cover it up because he knew his dad would be pissed. Yeah, it didn't happen at the same time, but it did happen. However, he also got no, away no. with it. He got away with it. They didn't realize that actually happened in real life. And he also was, that character was accurate to how he was portrayed. He was kind of a boorish drunk that 
essentially kind of acted like a, a spoiled child, but it was because his dad could kill anybody he wanted and no one would challenge his children. So the guy couldn't really do anything in life because people would die mm. if they didn't do so exactly like Donald what he Trump. said. Yeah, any, exactly. Any wonder why that guy's like that. Yeah. You know, and it's worth noting, uh, I look up that thing about Molotov too, and I didn't quite get as in-depth as you uh, found with your research, but one of the links uh, when I did my research was the Wikipedia page for the Cult of Personality and the image for that page is a Stalin propaganda poster. <laughs> it's a gift that keeps on giving. I mean, it, yeah. it, you, there is something to say about that regime because it lasted so fucking long. I mean, yeah, it, they managed to. It, it, yeah, you could say that it was for, brutal like, and unstoppable. Horrible. I mean, mm-hmm. that that regime in North Korea are like some of the few regimes that were just truly horrific, where it just kept on going. I, I, somebody, yeah. the, one of the complaints that the Russian government had is they don't have any movies about this, about the Un dynasty, you know, the, the Kim yeah. dynasty in, in North Korea. And I'm like, well, it, 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 we, we kind of know what happened with USSR. You know, you guys opened your books. We get to read it kind of, you know, like that's the thing about the Soviet Union. Clearly they were big on records, but they didn't mind if records got, you know, changed a little bit. If it's always been changed. No, 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 no. It's always been that way. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a self-correcting mechanism. Yeah. That that allowed itself the brutality got to keep going because of that self-correcting mechanism because it counted on people like Khrushchev, uh, who would see an opportunity and seize it because well, that's all, what Stalin did. But it's Stalin also saw the, an opportunity and the, took it. The iron grip, sorry uh, for the pun, but the iron grip yeah. on the truth and the facts and the history. This is something that actually um, it's funny we're talking about this. There's another film called The Silence of Others. It's on Netflix, and it is about the 40-year Spanish dictatorship that went on. And essentially, so many people died, but they don't talk about it. There was an agreement because it was um, Franco when he was in power. He was killing anyone who was a political Mm. rival. And so what happened is there were so many people involved that they never had a moment where someone took the people out of power. So these people are still there. They're still legitimized. So you had people essentially lose their government jobs and just go into private public life. But these are torturers. These are people who had killed many, many people. So people would be dealing with essentially, you know, uh, Gestapo and like Nazi guard type people just released into the average population. And they had no so, comeuppance. Chris, where and did you And it was a great forgetting. It's on, it's Spain. Oh, um, Franco's Spain. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, The Act of Killing. Uh, oh, no. About 10, Fucking 15 years ago, maybe. The 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 Act of Killing, I think. Yeah, one, but it is about these people. That was on Netflix. That was 2012 or 2013, yeah. I believe. But yeah, I've seen that one. That was, I can't remember the yeah, country, but go ahead and you can probably older. talk about it. It's, uh, I think it's Indonesia, maybe. Yeah, Ooh, that's true. Indonesia or Thailand. I, I yeah, don't uh, and it's about these uh Functionally genocides that occurred in the 70s-ish that were very uh, gangland-ish almost in their execution, but they were against regular people for the most part. And they have these interviews with people who are still in some degree of everyday life or power, just talking casually about all these hundreds of murders they committed. You're kind of burying the lead with that documentary. They're making a movie about their exploits. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they're they in the act of the oh, killing. Well, they're at least making that's a what movie. they believe is happening. Yeah, yeah, they're that they're making a movie, and they even to get cast members round up actual villagers and terrorize them for the sake of the fucking movie. And you watch these villagers are like, oh my god, it's happening again. Wow. And and it's just it's a great movie. Could not recommend it enough. Maybe one day uh, if we ever get we'll into do the documentary documentaries. Well, yeah, there's yeah, a, there I did want to say that because it, there's I, a companion piece to that film that I've never seen, and I'm very curious to see what it is because it's I have supposed seen to. It. There is. I, have? I haven't. I okay. haven't seen the follow up. Okay, I have, I have not it, seen the follow up. The the something of silence. It, the look the, of silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all about like the this one is told from the victims of said awful massacres that this state run. They weren't they weren't technically police, but they were like thugs that worked got a paycheck from the cops or some shit. But anyway, the the recent one is made more from the victims' perspective. Um, so it's kind of it is kind of a well, companion piece, and it's not nearly as weird as uh, the act of killing was. To bring it back, I did I did read the same thing that, that Russell read that, uh, I think he mentioned this briefly, but there were some critics who thought this movie was a little disrespectful to the victims of Stalinism. And I kind of wanted to get your temperature taken on that because there are some casual executions in this movie, some of which are even played for laughs. Sure. Um, and obviously, like, a lot of people were killed under Joseph yeah. Stalin. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And some people said, like, it's all one thing to make fun of his committee members. But but, but the fact that some of these abrupt executions of doctors or people in these camps were laugh moments, that rubbed uh, some critics the wrong way. And I, I wanted to get your guys' feel on it. Because in the moment, it didn't bother me, though I could see how someone would come to that conclusion. That's fascinating. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of with you on that because I, I guess I think this film does its ever loving best to not make light of the violence. Like this is unlike anything Iannucci's ever done, um, especially in the l- amount of actual violence that happens. So, given that there are violent moments that are being made light of, I don't think they're making the actual bloodshed all that like because like I said the like Boris said earlier the most horrifying death that you see almost full frontal is Beria that's done with it's not a joke it's it's a very poignant point in the script um but to the to the to the victims of the Stalin regime you know I don't know because like it almost makes like living in that regime you're also a victim you know so I I I, think by making light of that as well okay and I sorry not to cut you off oh before before uh, before Chris says this says his bit, I just want to say two things. One, yeah, I think one of the great things that affected me the first time I saw this movie, and I got to see it at the uh, the Ebert Film Center in downtown Chicago uh, because it got a very limited release. It was almost mm-hmm. nowhere. Um, yeah. But uh, um, is that uh, the anxiety of living in an authoritarian state? is often portrayed like the fear of the people in that opening scene and in certain other scenes and the disorientation. And even though it's comical to see that man run away with his dog and his dog just wanders off when they take him, like there is something to this anxiety that I think is poorly expressed in the day-to-day life of authoritarianism. And I want to commend Russell for that comparison. And also earlier, because we both thought of William H. Macy and Fargo, I'm going to give one to Russell. <laughs> oh, hey, all right. Okay, yeah, because it also, like, because when you think about the deaths in Fargo, that's kind of played in almost the same light, isn't it? Like, 
her the whole kidnapping scene of William H Macy's wife is fucking hilarious. But if you're William H Macy's wife, that's terrifying. Well, it's, it's only it's not played. It's, it's to hilarious be funny. right up until she actually screams. Like the the deadpan yeah. look yeah. she has when the guy walks up in that moment of uh, I would say disparity. You find comedy, yes. and the, the thing is, is that I think in this it's a similar thing, because mm-hmm. if yeah. I had personally had someone die who. I knew who was affected by the Stalin regime, a joke about anything connected would be extremely offensive. However, these, the comedy, the comedy in this is comedy of the absurd, is what I would suggest. It's not comedy of like other things. It's not like, um, you're not laughing at the fact the deaths are happening. You're laughing at the fact the deaths are happening and people are being so cavalier and casual about it. And that, um, just the sheer level of bloodshed is happening that it is obviously insanity but it almost has that sense of people who've like been born into an uh authoritarian regime where you're almost like what are you gonna do what are you gonna do people are dying around you all the time what are you gonna do and it's and it's absurd and it's upsetting but it's also i think probably the only way you could talk about the bizarreness of the fact that all this stuff happened and these people were okay just going back about their lives even though people have been murdered on this scale right like the whole thing's kind of played out like an office comedy like the like in the loop and stuff you know it's kind of played off everything's very bureaucratic and official and you know we're dealing with really pr crises here yeah. you know and that it, it, as much different that's why i i, I did want to kind of push back about this being a political thriller um <laughs> i mean it's i think it's more of a political thriller than say in the loop is i think in the loop is more of a satire than this one is this is a yeah. satire but it's more uh, or less a humorous take on things that kind of happened and I expected there was a full on chance that you guys would be like, this is disqualified. This was my risky, risky gambit <laughs> one that was like, nah, this could be disqualified from the, from mean, the category of political political thriller. Um, for me, briefly, I knew Khrushchev would come out, but it still felt exciting. Like I w- at the end, I didn't know the history exactly. Yeah. So I was legitimately wondering who was going to die and okay. who was going to make it through. So I was actually like, "Ooh, Svetlana. Oh, you didn't do too well in Mandy. I'm very concerned what's going to happen to you in this movie. <laughs> come on. Don't die in this one, too, Andrea. It's it's you got to make it through one of them. Yeah. She's also she also died in uh, the, the Tom Cruise movie that she was in. Um, the, uh, the Oblivion. She was the lady on the spaceship, and she dies. Yeah. And and I think uh, Steve Buscemi is famous for dying most of the time, so good on him for actually uh, pulling <laughs> yeah. out through the end. You know, actually made it. Um, he's very famous about that. Um, yeah, so I, I, I did kind of want to push back. I mean, I think All the King's Men is a little bit closer. I mean, it fits my litmus test because I said on All the King's Men, if there's a political assassination, it's therefore a political thriller, so I can't really chide you too much on it, but it does traipse more of the level of, like, satirical rather than being, like, a a thriller like All the King's Men, uh, like All the President's Men or something like that. But still, it's one of my favorites. So, I mean, I, I love this fucking movie. I can watch it all the time. Um, it's And I was surprised, considering it's been a minute since I've seen it, it's actually been a lot longer. That's what's strange about living in the Trump years. You know, it feels like it's been forever, but it does feel like time is just frozen and we're already, like, in election season. And like it, it, it so that's sort of how I feel about Death of Stalin because it came out in 17 and I thought it just came out you know, last summer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, it still has legs, you know, it's for still, sure. yeah. Yeah. I think this movie's going to go on for another 10 years and everyone's going to look about that. That was a fucking good, that was a classic buried yeah. on. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to show it to my um, wife. I think that that, 
It, it was on my uh, it was on my oh, airplane I, I watch list for a long time. Yeah, I'd always had it on my watch list. Well, it was I'm on my phone, could... ready to go. But I never popped the I never pulled the trigger until Zach told me to do it. So thanks, man. <laughs> That's how I feel about most of this with podcasts because it's not like I've ever seen the parallax you. I just heard about it most of the time. Me too. Um, yeah, but I, I I did want to talk just real briefly about you know because the comedy the comedic tone of this movie has a pretty subtle and then extremely dramatic shift. And it starts with the entrance of Zukov. You know, once he kind of enters in the scene, that's where the danger sort of feels like, well, and you get the sense from Khrushchev, finally, I've got somebody in my pocket. Finally, I've got something that I could fight yeah. back against Beria. And um, he does seem so indomitable and larger than life that it's like Zukov right. can't lose. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, it, again, a man so powerful, even Stalin couldn't kill. Um, yeah. like that's so, and again, Jason Isaacs, I think plays it. He's unlike any other character in this. He's who you'd think Stalin would be, you know, he's this brutish sort of yeah. bully, you know, yeah. always grabbing people's balls and stuff, it's, you know, like he's this kind of thuggish asshole. It's interesting how they show him or, or, with his character. It seems like they always show him as very intimidating, but he's not that tall. Like when you see him as like a, an actor against the other actors, he's not that tall. So they managed to make him really intimidating, and it's fascinating to see how that works. Like, when he goes in to talk to Molotov's wife, I think they use a wide-angle lens, and they're super up close. And he is indomitably, like, intense. Um, For sure. Yeah. And great again, movie. I think Simon Russell Beale was effortless. Yeah, I think great movie. I, uh, do we want to do final thoughts? Yeah, we can do final thoughts. Um, did I just go off track? We, we were talking okay. about Beria there, correct? I, I, no, I was talking about Zukov. Talking I was about talking Zukov, about Jason yeah. Isaacs. Oh, God. Okay, well, somebody's not Zukov, the best. the Grand Marshal of the Red Army. Somebody's not the best listener, and I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> he, he, is, he, is, he, is, uh, he is the closest to Malcolm Tucker uh, in the movie, I would say. You get to, Russian names. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to. It's right. okay. Yeah, I, might, Zukov, I might just right, yeah. clip a little he's, bit he's, there. It's okay. <laughs> I said a lot of stuff fine. that was not helpful. Um, <laughs> But it does, it, once he enters the scene, this tone shift very much happens. And it, I think it happens through the editing because, like, I, I Borf kind of pointed that out about Barry's shot where it doesn't cut away. It just kind of stays right on Barry and you're just kind of left there. And it's just very, it, it's almost horrible to think about that they just light his body on fire and just kind of leave him there and just don't yeah. even, they scatter the ashes to the wind. You know, they, it's the most... But, erasure of a person you could see however it's also handled in such a strange way because they don't it, it's like in normally in those scenes they would play strong music everyone would be silent there'd be a moment to go oh the loss of humanity but in this case they were like oh 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 and like going back away from it and i think they're making like you know very petty personal comments about oh that's a lot right. of smoke it's, and it's, things like that it's chaotic Right, and then during yeah. Barry's execution, it's all about we got to do this procedure, okay? Like, mm -hmm. we, no, no, no. Will you please tell me I could start reading the chart? You know that. Who cares? Just shoot him. You're going to anyway. You know, but you have to get the paperwork signed. You know, it's amazing. You gotta love the Stalin regime for their paperwork. They kept <laughs> meticulous records. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess we could do the final thoughts because we still have to vote. Um, right. Um, unless you guys have anything, don't let me stop you unless you guys have anything I'm ready else to dive have. in let's get into how great right, this movie cool. is yeah i mean I, I i love this movie it's a it's a tough movie to do because as we said like to to walk that balance beam of comedy and extreme terror uh is very tough to do but it's handled masterly by anucci and i knew when he was when i when he was attached to direct this i'm like well if there's anyone who could point out 
the sort of benign bureaucracy of how awful government can be. It's Iannucci. Um, and, you know, I think it, 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 I think it can be argued that it makes light of Stalin's reign of terror, but I think it does its best to sort of make the terror sort of implicit with its comedy uh, without really snubbing it in the victim's face. You know, it's making these people to be horrible and not just like grand leaders, which is apparently why Russia had a problem with it. Um, but yeah, and the fact that the, the whole movie is really about living in an authoritarian regime and what that does to you as a person, you know, because immediately, the, as Zach said, how the mini movie about the, the core orchestra, you know, the, the first conversation is about, well, they said 17 minutes. So they mean 17 minutes from when I picked up the phone or from when I hung up the phone, mm-hmm. you know, and it's that level of discrepancy will get you shot. Um, so it's any wonder why people like Beria existed and thrived in this system. Uh, but yeah, great movie. Although again, a bit less on the thrilling side, but fun nonetheless. I would watch this movie and recommend it to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say that I, uh, I love the movie too. Uh, it was awesome. It was very interesting. Um, the comedy was fascinating uh, because it really had that sort of gallows humor um, where people had almost accepted that this was the nature of the circumstance. It felt very English in many ways. Like I would say all the humor in here at some point had the quality of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail's uh, Black Knight, like getting arms cut off and just being nonchalant about the terrible things happening, saying, no, I'm going to keep going. Because it was just this abject uh, rejection of reality that was happening across the board, which was fascinating to watch, but it also led to most of the comedy and the jokes that really nailed and landed with me. So yeah, I uh, I thought it was great, and I loved all the actors, and I have a new respect for the guy who played Stalin and the guy who played Beria. Uh, yeah, I uh, also enjoyed this film a lot. Um, I think that, yeah, the gallows humor is timely for where we are as a culture <laughs> uh, right now, I suppose, in many ways. Uh, we talked about the decision not to use Russian accents, which I think is actually catching on in other projects in some degree. I think that people don't particularly care about that aspect of performance. And I, I, I know that a few I years ago, Valkyrie did something like that. But I, th- I feel like I've read about stuff. Didn't Chernobyl? That approach more didn't Chernobyl? Now. I think Chernobyl, Chernobyl used English accents. Yeah. 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 Uh, Just that everybody was from England. Yeah. Was, I think, know, I like think at least this one had a very different cast. Yeah. And I do think like the different kind of animals that either either animate or create authoritarian brevia, uh, Beria, I mean, um, th- almost thrived under it. It allowed him to indulge in his worst impulses, whereas Khrushchev was a premier survivalist who was a he was able to look the other way on things but ultimately his skill was his ability to just watch out for himself i I like the dichotomy of of types that created this horrific institution and i see them reflected in certain people in other institutions and today like in various Mm -hmm. various manifestations like Malenkov is a Rick Perry if I've ever seen one. <laughs> or Chris Christie. Or Chris Christie, poor bastard. He's going to get infected yeah. with COVID and nobody's going to tell him. Uh, Chris Christie is infected with yeah, COVID. You know yeah. that, right? Yeah, I know. And nobody yeah. told him. He found out on the news. <laughs> Jesus. 
Barry is a Stephen Miller. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'd be giving Close Pence too much credit credit to call him a cruise ship. He's more like Malenkov, where he's, he's just probably like Malenkov. The, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. There'll be some. Maybe maybe McConnell's the fucking cruise ship, but he's also such a slight. Uh, anyway, oh, yeah. we can go down this rabbit hole. Yeah, we, we'll be here all day. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, it was fun to revisit this film, and I'm glad I got to show it to Chris for the first time. Cool. Okay. Well, that brings us to the most important part of the movie trap, and that is where we vote and choose the next theme. Um, I assume that everybody has a theme in their pocket. Yeah. Good. Okay, so the way this is going to work, just as a recap, we are each going to vote on each of the movie from the order they were watched them in. Just as a recap on the points, Boref, you have 11 points, Carlson has 12, and Powers has 12. So, my vote for the Parallax View is number one. And my vote for the Parallax View is three. Uh, And my vote for the Parallax View is... Also, three. So that puts Parallax View at seven points. So seven points to beat. So I gave all the King's Men a six. And I gave all the King's Men a four. Uh, I gave all the King's Men a 4.5. We agreed no half points. We agreed no half points. <laughs> then I'll give it a four. Okay. <laughs> Wow, someone's really our, uh, our, 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 fa- our faithful leader on this one, really telling well, us how rule, to do the math. Rules matter, okay? <laughs> rules matter. Yeah, the death okay, of math, so I guess. Okay, all... <laughs> <sighs> they don't have half goals in fucking football or hockey, do they? No. All right. All right, so now we're on to the death of Stalin. DOS, as it's well known. I'm giving Death of Stalin a five. I'm giving Death of Stalin a four. I am giving Death of Stalin a five because we can't do the half points. <laughs> so, it's a, so it's a five. Covering the 4.5. Got it. Okay, so that puts us at a tie, actually. Wow. All the King's Men has 14 points, Stalin has 14 points, and Parallax View has seven points. So, I guess since Zack and I's movies are the ones tied, I will put the tiebreaker to Borov. So, you get to go award an extra point since you're the tiebreaker. Oh, God. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's a lot of pressure all of a sudden. Okay, so, if we're going to break it down, Death of Stalin, very funny, first time seeing it. All the King's Men, not quite as funny, but first time seeing it. Um... You know, it's a hard choice you guys put me in because these are two that I think are real classics. So, oh, man. Okay, just to decide it, um, I am going to say Death of Stalin was fantastic because it was my first time to see it. And due to the fact that I hadn't seen it for so long and it was on my to-do list for so long, I give Zach the point. So, Death of Already? Stalin is the winner. Damn, just missed it. <laughs> by, a, by a deciding vote. Fine, fine, you can't get any closer than that. I feel, but if you would let me have the half points, you would be picking the topic <laughs> right now, my friend. Oh, damn it! <laughs> damn it, okay. <laughs> All right, Zach, well, I guess... Uh, Balls in your like, court. Like Beria, you're, ho- you're hoisted on your own baton. <laughs> yeah, yep. You've I, I only made yourself own. into a corner. <laughs> I became my own worst enemy. That's right. 
hilarious. All right, Zach, so the ball's in your court. What are we trapped with this time? I got a couple different uh, options here. Uh, pulling up my list of, of potential thoughts I had for, for future topics. And I think this time I'm going to go with... You know what? I think I'm going to go with the same actor in multiple roles. That could be dual roles or more than dual roles. Uh, depending on the movie you pick, I'm okay with either. But same actor, multiple roles in one movie. You know what? I'm going to start us out with one I have not seen in, God, probably 10 to 15 years, but I used to like a lot. Right? I liked the one time I saw it a lot. And that's David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. Wow. Okay. Okay. Dead Ringers. It's been ages since I've seen it, probably since high school. But I was fond of it at the time, so. That is going to be a fantastic and interesting view, I think. Mixed bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, uh, how long has it been since high school for you? Bag. Uh, uh 13, 14 years? Okay, that's about enough time to get between views of Dead Ringers. You're going to see what this is about when we get back into it. It'll be interesting to see how you uh, return to it as an adult. I think for me, I don't have very clear memories, so it's going to be interesting for me too, because I went back and I revisited Scanners recently and found out with my wife that Scanners is very boring. <laughs> uh, it's it's the one head blow-up <laughs> scene, and then the rest of the film is just people going, oh, and staring at each other very hard. Uh, so it's very hard to watch in... Wasn't Magoon in that? Yes. Magoon was in that, Ironside okay. was in that, and a guy who is a actor in many of the other Cronenberg films is in that, but it's different film, different time. Hey. Dead Ringers, though. This is going to be Zach's pick, and we are going to watch the heck out of it. I have never seen it. I know I've seen a couple of Cronenberg movies, so I sort of know what I'm getting into. Um, so yeah, it'll be a whole new thing for me. Um, I, I forgot that, yeah, Magoon was directed out. Funny story about Magoon, though. So my wife and I have been watching Columbo, and it and it's a very strange episode of Columbo. Like, there's a lot of shouting over equipment, and then the end of the episode, it's Columbo paddling off in a rowboat. And my whole time, the wi my wife is just like, this is the fucking weirdest episode of Columbo. <laughs> and then the title card comes up, directed by Patrick Magoon. <laughs> and Sarah's like, for fuck's sake, of course it's fucking Magoon. Anyway, I just had to bring that yeah, up. I figured the, more if the, the, the final episode of, of Prisoner is very special. Or the prisoner, yeah. 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 yeah that's why she's, she thinks of his name so fondly. Well, here we go. Well, I am personally, if I think Dead Ringers may not be a winner for me on the next roundabout, but I'm perfectly okay with that. I've got my, I've, I've had two picks, and I want to see a movie that I, I remember kind of liking and might hate now. <laughs> okay, and I guess so, if we're going with the, the order of movies, mm -hmm. uh, so then I would pick next, and then Chris would pick the last movie of the round for one actor in multiple roles. The, the other way around, but yeah. What? Wait. So am I'm I going, going or is I'm the end first? of the alphabet? So no, 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 no. I meant in, in not in alphabet. Are we doing alphabetical order? or Are we doing by order of ranking a points of who goes? No, next I thought we just team? always did the same order. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Then Borf, then me. I'm gonna have to get a number tattooed into my arm so I could look down and remember when I'm supposed <laughs> to say my name. It's the fucking <laughs> alphabet. A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R X T U V W X Y Z. It's but, wait, what but, comes but, Z? But, but Mr. But Mr. Cage, what if we start at the end of the alphabet first because Zach Powers is the one who said hello at the start of the announcement? <laughs> then you go back around like a clock. Do you mean counterclockwise? <laughs> no, 
clockwise. It hits 12, then it goes back to 1. Left or the right? How do you not understand? When the clock hits 12, listen, the next one listen. that it hits is going to be Man, the 1. I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying my water clock is very functional for me for several thousand years. I put water into the cups, and when they're empty, I dump them out, and then I know when the sun comes back up. We're all good. I just don't know which one of us is the third cup. It's a one-way circular street. <laughs> See, I, I tell math by uh, an abacus, which is weird because we're learning the alphabet. An so, abacus? An abacus, yeah, which is weird because we're talking about the alphabet, so it doesn't really do me any good. Yeah. Um, I just got this picture of, like, Jim Backus as a calculator. <laughs> 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 oh, Magoo, you've done it again. But you know what? When oh. I corrected him, I got this picture of ABBA as a calculator. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And then we we're back on uh, starting fresh. Everyone's yep. at 10 points. for. And, uh, and just to be clear, I'm going to say multiple roles. I don't want to say dual roles. If you want to pick okay. fucking Dr. Strangelove, go for it. I guess uh, on that note, we will sign off. So I guess in going... In order of the alphabet, my name's Chris Boroff, and I am signing off. Fare thee well, and have a good night. And my name is Russell Carlson, signing off. Thank you so much for listening. And my name is Zach Powers, signing off. And who's this? It's another character, <laughs> Pax Zowers, who's also played by me, signing off. Who's also correct for the alphabet. Same paycheck. <laughs> You don't know me. You fucking taught my niece piano lessons. That's it. Don't you see what Barry has done now? He's tied me to you. We are tied together. Like a, like a rock that's sinking. And but I'm confident of everlasting life. Who the fuck in their right mind would want everlasting life? The endless conversation. <laughs>